his servant. This solemnity is very unique. We're in ordinary time, hence the green. We're growing, right? Yet this solemnity of the birth of John the Baptist. Why is that? There's a few reasons, but we we hear even from our beautiful first reading from Isaiah about how the Lord called me from birth. That even from John the Baptist's birth, that God had a mission. But you and I are also called into existence by God for a mission. Jesus tells us later in Luke 7:28, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. No one is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So John's the greatest, but in heaven, everyone's greater than him. <laughs> you and I, because of our baptism into Jesus Christ, who have put on Christ, share, are called to share in the glory of God in heaven. And so yet John the Baptist becomes an example, a witness, someone who's trying to teach us about how to follow the Lord. So as great as he is, Jesus says, in Matthew 3, 4, we're told John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. If he was so great, his life didn't seem too awesome, you know? It didn't seem too flashy. It didn't seem maybe too enjoyable. But it shows us that the glory that you and I are called to share in is not a glory that's here. But it's a glory that is shown, uh, proven, so to speak, here. That John the Baptist comes as the Lord's servant. That you and I are invited to be his servant no matter where we are. I don't know if you saw the MTV Awards this week. Um, Chris Pratt was up there and um, done a lot of movies if you don't know who he is yeah Jurassic World that kind of stuff and he got up there and he gave his own nine rules for living and I, just briefly he said things so he's imagine this so he's on this stage with the MTV culture speaking to millions of people and what does he say he says you have a soul be careful with it you know he encourages people he says reach out to someone in pain be of service it feels good and it's good for your soul. He says, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. He says, learn to pray. He says this about us. He says, there's a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you are willing to accept that, you will have grace. Grace is a gift. Like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with someone else's blood. So here's Chris Pratt, and he's like, well, I'm an actor, all this kind of stuff. But recognizing that God has called him to be where he is, recognizing that God has called him to be his servant, 
wherever he puts him. And on this particular day, it was on this very public stage where he could point the way to Christ. You and I, we, we may never be on a stage that big. Some people probably will here in this room. But we're given other stages, sometimes just us and another person, in which we can demonstrate by the way we live and even by the power of our words whose servant we are. Because God has a plan. God has a mission. And, and I'm part of that, that he's called me from my birth. He made me a polished arrow, that, that there's, there's, a, there's a particular mission that only I can do. And, and if I don't do that, nobody, nobody can do what only I can do. Yet my reward is with the Lord. That I, I may not see my reward here, but my reward is with him. And the beautiful thing is when we, when we live for the Lord, we actually get to experience that freedom and joy here, now. Somebody was telling me a story this week of, like, you never know when this is going to happen. He was, he was at home with his family, and somebody knocked on the door, and so he opened the door, and it was just some kid with a bicycle and a rake on the bicycle. And he says, um, I'm in a hard place, and um, would you be willing to pay me $10 if I rake up your leaves and stuff? And, and the guy's like, well, what's going on? Like, he recognized that in that moment that he had a chance to, like, just meet this person, love this person. Um, and it came up in the course of their 20-minute conversation that, that this kid was on hard times and um, was struggling in life. And, and this man proclaimed to him, he said, um, he said, you know, where I find my meaning and strength is in Christ. And that no matter how destitute we feel, no matter how rock bottom we are, that Christ, that God loves you. And what he desires to do for you and I is to forgive your sins. And, and he says this, and this young man just like starts crying. And he realized, he kind of looked in the bicycle, there was like, I guess, a basket or something, and there was a package in the basket, and he had noticed that the package had his neighbor's name on it. So the kid had just stolen his neighbor's package. And he recognizes this, and what does he do? He doesn't call him out, he calls him up. He tells him that Jesus, like, we're all sinners, but God wants to forgive your sins. And this kid who feels, not knowing that he's caught, but just recognizing that we all feel shame when we do something wrong, that he, that he hears these words of like, God has something better for you. And what this man offered this, this kid was far more valuable than anything that could fit in a box. That's the power we've been given to proclaim Christ. And the world isn't going to always accept it. I'm, I'm reminded, you know, earlier this week on Friday, we celebrated the, the feast of St. Thomas More. Just side note, we know how John the Baptist's story ends, right? That he, he, he died defending marriage. That Herod had married his uh, brother's wife. And John's like, that's not good for you. 
And Herod was so mad that he threw him in jail, but he knew he was right, so he didn't do anything for a while. But in the end, um, because of Herodias, he, he kills him. Well, several centuries later, Thomas More comes on the scene, and once again, he's standing up in defense of marriage to King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII says, I want to I want to divorce this woman and marry that one. And Thomas More was like, he didn't, he's like, I'm not going to say anything. And so eventually the king's like, okay, silence, I'm going to take to mean you disagree with me. And so therefore, I'm going to have you killed, even though he was a friend of St. Thomas More. And so as he faced death with great freedom, Thomas More proclaimed this, this famous line, Know that I die the king's good servant but God's first. You and I are called to live in the world, to be witnesses to the world by how we serve Him first. And when we do that, it gives us just a, a freedom and a joy that the world can't offer. In 1925, there was a young lady named Maria Felicia who was born in Paraguay. And she grew up, and at one point her mom needed her help, so she kind of dropped out of school and helped her mom and then kind of went back to school. She got involved in a group called Catholic Action. And she would serve the poor, help the needy, and do things like that. And along the way, she came to know Christ. And so she, she spent a lot of time in like prayer, especially before the Eucharist. And she came to know the Lord, and she wanted to serve the Lord more than anyone else. Because she noticed that as she served the Lord and lived for Him, that she just experienced more joy in her life. She ended up meeting this young man. They fell in love. They were talking about marriage. She was like in her 20s by this point, uh, late 20s. And she said this. She said, how beautiful it would be to have a love to renounce that love and together to sacrifice it to the Lord for the ideal. But what she was saying was how beautiful it would be to have something you love so much and then to give it to God. To, to love something, someone so much and then make that your sacrifice to show that we love God even more. And her, her longtime boyfriend went off and joined the seminary, and she joined the Carmelites. And she continued to serve sick people from which she contracted infectious hepatitis, and she died four years later at the age of 34. But the people who in her convent and the people who saw her, the thing they remembered, the thing they noted, was her radiant smile and her joy that never ceased. And yesterday... Pope Francis named her blessed. She, he, she was beatified on her step on a, a step on the way to canonization. When you and I live for God first, we experience true freedom, peace, and a share in his joy in life that the world cannot give. That's what John the Baptist shows us. That's what Christ offers us. That's what the Newman Center seeks to do, is to help students recognize the good things that Christ wants to give us and the freedom and joy that comes from living for him first, to be his servant, 
first. I want to close by reading uh, a prayer here, a prayer to know my vocation. It's a question I know um, in, in college students' mind more than anything. Is like I don't I don't know what my I don't know what God's plan is for me. Um, and so I actually left several stacks of these cards on the table. You're welcome to grab one on the way out. But I'm going to pray this prayer as a way to, to finish um, this homily. Yeah. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, I believe that you have created me for a special mission. From the moment I began to live in my mother's womb, you have been preparing my path to heaven. Lord, show me your will for my life. Help me to trust you, no matter the cost. Help me to believe that I will be happiest in doing your will. Give me the grace to say yes to what you ask of me today, so that I can say yes to my vocation. I make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen.